it's Easter, um, as I said, and there can be a lot of pressure on pastors to, uh, to preach, you know, do something new and creative. Um, but the truth is, it's Easter, and we have been celebrating this day for 2,000 years. Not a lot new has happened, right? It's not, oh, well, that was part one. Let's tell you part two. It is, no, the story that we find ourselves in. It is the, the hope that we rest in today. It is, um, it is the story that has been told, uh, not just in Israel, but uh, around the world. It's why we are even sitting here right now. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are here because the Easter story was told and spread around the globe, and somewhere in that process, met you. It's the day that Jesus broke death, right? And the and crazy thing is, the crazy thing about this, this, this story of him breaking death is that he then offers as an invitation to anyone on this planet who wants to believe, who will believe in what he's done on their behalf, he gives them life. He meets them in that moment. What am I going to talk about better than that? <laughs> I'm going to give you some five points on improving your work life, right? Two ways to, um, to sleep better at night. I don't know. Um, we believe, the crazy thing is we believe literally that, that not just that Jesus rose from the grave, but that he is alive today, that he's seated at the right hand of God, and that he is interceding for us, and that he is present in this moment, in this room, right now. That's, it's, it's, it's staggering to think about. And, and to get your mind and your heart around it. But that's, what, that's why this gathering happens. This is why we meet every week. But why in particular today, Easter, you know, it's like a, an old pastor used to say, I believe, in, I believe in the resurrection every Sunday. I just believe it a little bit more on Easter. Um, and so it, it's a great reminder to us all. If you were around on Good Friday, you remember uh, at the um, Forest Hills, Coa Forest Hills, Pastor Stephen did an incredible job of teaching us about uh, what happened on Good Friday. He walked through the path that Jesus uh, led Jesus to the cross as a king who willingly uh, died on the cross um, for us to, to, to redeem us. And the beauty of it is, the crazy thing about it is, is um, as, as uh, one pastor years ago I heard him say, said, um, when a king is willing to die for his rebellious subjects, it says more about the king than it says about his subjects. What kind of king dies for his rebellious subjects? But that's what he did because he is love. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us so dearly that long before we were even a thought or our parents, grandparents, great-great-grandparents were even a thought, Jesus died on the cross. But now enter that space with me, if you will. Just think about what that was like. Jesus' followers may be, honestly, uh, you know, you may not be aware if you've read the Bible or, or understand. There's usually, um, when, when it's referred to disciples, it's 12, it's the 12 disciples or a large group of maybe up to 120, so maybe half this room of people that were following Jesus. That included men and women. Uh, and then he had the 12 disciples that were his follower, uh, his closest followers. Um, but this group of people, after G they had watched Jesus executed, right? They had walked with him. They had, they had seen him perform miracles. They had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead just a few days earlier. They had seen his compassion and his kindness towards the poor, towards the broken, towards the outcast, towards the sick. He cast out demons. He preached of a kingdom that was going to change this entire world. And then what happened? They watched him die. Think about 
what those the, 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 those disciples were feeling as they were they weren't all in one place together, but spread in different homes around Jerusalem on that day, on that Saturday, sitting in sadness, consoling each other, certainly lost having lost hope. And then the events of Sunday morning happen. Crazy event. The resurrection. And the resurrection changed everything. Listen, it's interesting. If you look back at Christianity, uh, Christian history, for the first you know, 500 years or so, the cross, was, the cross is the symbol of Christianity, but it's not what was the central message that was preached through the, through the early church. The resurrection was front and center. Why? Because without the resurrection, the cross has no meaning. Right? Without the resurrection, the cross has no meaning. Pastor Tony Evans said this, Jesus is unique for many reasons, but the most distinguishing factor is without question his resurrection. The whole Christian faith rises and falls on the truth of the resurrection. This is the core of why we're here today. And what we're going to look at in this time together is look at what happened, like actually what happened, and then what I want us to do is talk about why does that matter? Why does it matter for us Today, we're going to, I'm going to read Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 1 through 12. We are continuing and sort of culminating the series that we've been in, The Road to Redemption, walking through some passages in Luke. Um, Luke 24, so put your mindset in the place of the disciples, sadness, discouragement, hopelessness, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Kind of a clue something was up, right? While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him who told told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What happened on Easter Sunday? Why does it matter? So what happened on this first Sunday? Well, there's four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that are, as I've said during this series, are, are like watching different news stations covering the same event. They have the same facts and data, but they're going to come at it from different ways. They're going to interview different people. They're going to highlight different aspects of what happened. And so when you, when you build these gospels together and begin to see um, that, that Jesus rose from the grave, the, the very interesting thing about all of them, it is a very muted scene. It's very interesting, especially in light of how you'd compare it to his birth, right? 
His birth, now it was very humble in a, in a, uh, a manger, but, but there were angels that like lit up the night sky and were declaring glory to God in the highest. And, and then, you know, all these shepherds showed up and all this was happening. But instead, on this Sunday morning, as the women went to the tomb, these, these women who were going to anoint Jesus' body for death, they, they just went in. And, and it doesn't even say, and the angel declared with great joy. No, it just, the angel said to them, he is not here. He's risen. I just think it's fascinating to see, and I would argue that it, it has a ring of authenticity to it. Because it doesn't sound like somebody's trying to embellish it, does it? I mean, if you're trying to embellish it, you'd have a whole host of angels. You'd have like, you know, this crazy scene and all this stuff happening. But instead, it's some women who, by the way, during that time could not testify in court. Because women were not seen as citizens equal to men. And so Jesus chose to pick women who couldn't have even gone into court and testified to what they had seen. But chose them to be the ones to preach the, the good news, right? To share the good news of the gospel with others. He isn't here. He's risen. The gospel gives us, this, each of the gospels give us a simple glimpse of that morning. Every one of the disciples was feeling confused and afraid and fearful. And even it says in this passage, right, that the women came back and they were kind of like, what? It's crazy, you know? And, 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 uh, but Peter, Peter got up. Peter got up. He goes, I got to go see this for myself. And he ran to the tomb. What would happen over the next few hours would be, I will let that go. Um, Over the next few hours, I know who I am. Uh, The next few hours, the disciples would slowly begin to have experiences with Jesus, the risen Jesus. It's crazy to to understand that he he wasn't risen as in he was almost dead and he kind of came back and he was in this like decrepit body and he kind of wandered in among them. No, there was something about him showing up in a room with locked doors, right? Showing up uh, among them that they were they were blown away at his appearance. They were blown away at who he was. That that it wasn't just the, the thought that entered their mind was not oh my gosh he somehow managed to survive crucifixion. And then he pushed the stone out of the way with no medical attention, pushed the stone out of the way, crawled, uh, overcame Roman guards, and crawled his way here to convince us he is Lord over death. No. No, they, they, it's just the opposite. He looks so different. He was still Jesus, but somehow, I don't know if he glowed. Maybe he did. But, but like there was something glorious about him. One of the Gospels actually says in the Gospel of John near the end, one of the appearances Jesus had, it said, none of them dared ask him who he was because they knew he was Jesus. Now, I'm just like, why did John include that? Except there was like, there's something different about him, right? He's in his resurrected eternal body. This body does not corrupt. This body is not broken. The only thing that this body had that was, that, uh, was a symbol of, of this world was the, the signs of the cross, the nails in his hands and feet. By the way, the only human man-made things that will be in the new heavens and earth will be the, the signs, the nail, symbols of nails in his hands and his feet. But he appeared to them, and it began to change everything. Something so significant happened that the entire Christian faith 
two and a half billion people in the, in the world right now who identify as Christian, like, are rooted in this. Now, I'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I'll be honest with you, I, I am. I, I naturally, I came out of the womb asking why. You know, how does that work? Why? Um, the, you know, it was funny when I was doing my, um, doing my PhD, I'd take the GRE and they have a section called the analytical section, uh, or at least they used to. I don't know if they still do or not, but I actually liked it. It just made sense to me. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and it was funny. Other people were like, I don't like that. I'm like, oh, no, no, I like it. It makes sense. It's logic. It's, you know. And, and so when I look at stuff and, and people are like, oh, this happened, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, convince me. Show me how that happens. And maybe that's you here today. And I don't know about you, but I think it's completely reasonable. I would argue if you just accept that there's a resurrection, like, as a fact, without any thought in your mind that I've never seen a resurrection. No one I know has ever seen a resurrection. No one I've ever met has come back from the dead, right? Resurrections don't happen. But this one, this one claim, it's claimed that it did. And if you don't approach it with a little bit of skepticism, I'm not sure you've actually examined how scandalous it was. It was. One of, the, one of the arguments that people, uh, some people make, and, and I would go back. In fact, the resurrection was so significant that there were people, uh, that, that scholars even today look back at history and what happened, what erupted in Israel at this time of the, Christian, the roots of the Christian faith is so significant sociologically and globally that, that uh, scientists, researchers can't help but come up with theories. Something happened, Right? And you have to ask the question, it's either true or not. And if it's not true, the disciples made it up. But you have to ask yourself, why would the disciples make this up? Well, they love Jesus so much. Okay, I, I could get that. I think Jesus was remarkable. I think after his death, they certainly could have felt like that. And so they stole his body and they hid it and they said, oh, he's risen, we saw him. And, and I think that like, that could have lasted a little while. But it became extremely counterproductive to their life, people didn't accept what they were saying. The Christianity didn't explode onto the scene. It was, it was estimates of five years or more before Pentecost happened. Like this was a, 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 a period of time where, in fact, declaring that Jesus had risen from the dead was a sure way to get yourself beat up and cast out of the temple. And you're a Jew. Like there's nothing in the Jewish mindset or way of thinking that would have fostered, hey, let's believe that Jesus came back from the dead. So maybe you're skeptical, as I was at one point. The other ironic thing about it all, about that, is that you're in really good company. <laughs> Again, if you made it up, it's all made up. No, it didn't happen. Just made it up. Why in the world would you include things like, and the disciples doubted? All of them doubted. Like when the women came and said, he, he's risen, they didn't go, oh yeah, we knew it, right? What did they do? They're like, hmm. In fact, one of them literally got the name Doubting Thomas. He was so convinced that, I mean, you talk about a skeptic, he was like, until I touch his nail-scarred hands, I will not believe. Why would you write that into the Gospels? It's casting doubt. 
Even 40 days later at the ascension, when Jesus is with his disciples in Matthew 28, he's on the mountaintop and he's ascending, preparing to ascend to the, to the right hand of God in heaven and send the Holy Spirit out. Before he does that, you know what it says? And his disciples were there and they saw him. But some doubted. <laughs> they literally could see him and they doubted. There's a ring of authenticity to these accounts. And Jesus seems to have understood how hard it was to accept this. I like this. Jesus didn't go, hey, I'm risen. Deal with it. Look at uh, Luke 24. Um, The rest of Luke 24, uh, verses 13 through 35, are him walking uh, or meeting a a couple of his disciples on the road to a town called Emmaus. And then uh, those disciples, after they meet him, he like disappears from their sight. So they go back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And this is what happened. Verse 36. And they were talking about these things. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Again, if I was making it up, I would have just said, and they believed, and it was awesome, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't certainly say, and they weren't really sure it was him. They thought it was a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? That seems really bizarre, doesn't it? (laughs) She's like, you got some food around here? Got a cliff bar? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'll tell you why in a second. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it, uh, took it and ate it before them. So, so Jesus did three things to help convince them. Like, again, you and I, if, if Jesus were to show up in physical form right here on the stage, many of us would think we're hallucinating. Many of us would think, that was that bad burrito I had last night. It's coming back to haunt me, right? Um, <laughs> got a fever, whatever. Um, but, but if he invited you to come up and to touch him, and then he was like, let's go downstairs and have brunch. And, and he sits down at the table and starts eating the same food you're eating. That would be kind of convincing, wouldn't it? And that's exactly what he does. So he, he identifies himself. This is the first thing he does. To avoid confusion that, that he's not an angel, not some spirit or, or somebody else, some other human form. He told them to touch him. To, to, to feel the scars in his hands. Again, I would argue they didn't touch him like he was a half-dead dude, right? Because at that point, they would go, oh, we need to help Jesus. Jesus dragged himself all the way over here as a half-dead guy, right? But instead, he looked healthy. And then finally, he ate in front of them. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but generally dead people don't eat. So it's a rule. It's a rule you can follow, you can count on. It just doesn't happen. And I I think it's interesting. He he physically takes food into his body to prove to them that he is still human. He's a transformed human, but he's still human. And by the way, this is kind of cool because this also points to the idea that we're going to eat in heaven, the new heavens and new earth. We're going to feast. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Somebody's already <laughs> fired up about that. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's amazing. And, and, and I think that's why in Revelation it talks about being a, a wedding feast, right? Like, like wedding feasts are the best, you know? 
Not, not, not like Teresa's and my wedding feast were, it was, it was a, it was a wedding snack, right? That was what, back in the day, we had no money. We, I think we had hors d'oeuvres, right? <laughs> that was it. That was our meal. Um, and I got one quiche that was that big. That was it. But Jesus invites them to see him eat. And, you, and in this process, you have to understand, even in this, even in them being convinced of this, their belief cost them a lot. There was nothing in the, the, the Jewish mindset, uh, culturally, religiously, there was no framework for seeing God, Yahweh, Jehovah, come in human form as a human being, seeing him die on a cross and, a, and, and, and living as a risen king. Tim Keller, um, Pastor Tim Keller said it this way, the resurrection was not preached in the early church as a symbolic representation of wonderful higher spiritual truths like we must always keep hope. The resurrection was preached as a hard, bare, terribly irritating, paradigm-shifting, horribly inconvenient, but impossible to dismiss fact. You know what a fact is, right? A fact is something that you can't get around. We live in a culture of feelings, right? We, everything we do has, a, has a, a like button on it, right? I mean, even our, our, our staff uses Slack, and like you can like something somebody says or, or not like it or whatever. Is that how I feel about what you're saying right now, right? Uh, whatever social media platform, like, not like, is how I feel in this moment. Um, but Jesus was not, uh, Jesus did not come and, and, and rise from the dead in a way that would make the disciples feel good about believing this. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, who became the greatest missionary in the early church, um, what was, uh, was a devout Jew. And you know what his feelings were about Jesus? Somebody made this stuff up. This is, a, this is a cult. It is destructive. It is hurting the name of God. I'm going to stop it. And he set himself out to do it right up until the risen Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And let me just say this as blunt as I can. Jesus changes everything when you encounter him. What the Apostle Paul was simply a superstition he could dismiss was in reality a fact he couldn't escape. And that's, that's what I want to bring to bear on us today. Is that it's not a matter of simply believing, okay, believing in the historicity of the resurrection. That's, that's not how a person becomes a Christian. You can believe in the historicity of the resurrection and not be a Christian. You have to believe that and have a personal encounter believing that his death and his resurrection was for you. Because we believe the risen Jesus shows up now. He, I met him when I was a freshman in college. Or he met me, it's more likely. It wasn't like I was wandering around looking for him. He, he met me. And it changed everything in my life. So let's talk about that. Why does it matter? Why does it matter, the resurrection? No one in this room became a Christian because of the historicity of the resurrection. It might be part of the journey, but the real question is, what difference does it make? Right? Why, how does it impact me at all? And if you aren't a Christian, you can imagine, I think you, you, you have the, uh, the ability to sort of enter into that and go, if Jesus really did rise, it means something. <laughs> it's got to mean something. Because he's the only one who's ever done that, right? So three ways, three things that the cross and the resurrection do for to change everything. One, Jesus overcomes 
all our inadequacies. All our inadequacies. Every person in this room right now carries feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, shame, guilt, anxieties, our sense of brokenness, our own sense of failure. Every person in here has gotten to the end of their capacity as a human being. If you haven't, just wait. (laughs) It's coming, right? Every one of us has run headlong into our own foolishness, made mistakes, done things that have hurt ourselves and hurt those around us. Every one of us has experienced that. Now, I know you might be thinking, okay, great. Thanks, Blaine. Makes me feel really good on Easter. No, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, if you believe in the resurrection or not, you still have to deal with all of these things. It's just a reality. Our inadequacies as human beings are real. But it's the question of, how does Jesus, Jesus impact that? So first, you need to see Jesus sees it all. Jesus sees all of you. All of those thoughts, all of those weaknesses, all of those struggles, all the ways that you have failed yourself, fallen short of God, uh, sinned against, hurt other people, all the ways also you've been hurt. He sees all of that. And you can, you can, and I believe some people in light of that, sort of the light shining on them in that way and like feel exposed, they hide, they run away. Then, oh, I don't want, I literally have had people Tell me, oh, I don't want to go to church. It makes me feel bad. And I'm like, well, we kind of got to understand the situation before we can understand there's good news, right? For, for good news, which the gospel literally is good news, for it to be good news, it has to enter a, a, a bad space. And that's us. But the gospel says Jesus Christ on the cross took all of my sin. Having seen it all, he took it all paid the price, and and as he rose from the grave, he offers me now life. So the cross is my death, and the resurrection is my new life. It's my victory. Jesus calls us, says we're co-heirs, or Paul says we're co-heirs with Christ. What a crazy promise. What a crazy promise that Jesus Christ king of the universe, came in human form, died on the cross, rose from the grave, victorious over death, and then opens his arms and invites all to believe and come to him. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, what this means, let me just pull back the veil a bit. What this means for me is that Christ died undoing all of my inadequacies as a human being, right? Doesn't mean I, I don't fail anymore. Doesn't mean I don't struggle anymore, but I am a new man and I'm being shaped by something different than my pride. I'm being shaped by something different than my anger. I am being shaped by something different than my lust or selfishness or greed or whatever it might be. Christ literally says in John chapter 3 that you're born again as a new person when you believe in the resurrection. So Christ overcomes all of our inadequacies through the resurrection and gives us new life. Secondly, Jesus gives meaning to our suffering. This kind of related to the first one a little bit, but not always. 
Sometimes we suffer just for being in this world, don't we? Don't we? We suffer. We didn't do something wrong, but the world was a, was a truck coming down a four-lane highway and ran us over. We didn't see it coming. We didn't know it was going to happen. We didn't ask for it. We didn't do anything to contribute to it, but it hits us. And we suffer. And I would argue this, that, that every person suffers. The question we have to ask does, doesn't matter at all. Because apart from there being a resurrection and there being new life and this, this offering uh, where, where all of our suffering in this world is caught up in a, in a greater story, you still have to suffer. You just have no meaning in your suffering. I mean, you can try to apply it to yourself. I'm going to try to be a better person. I went through this. I'm going to try to be a stronger person. Again, Tim Keller, but he says, Christianity teaches that contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. There's a purpose to it, and it, if faced rightly, can drive us like a, deep, like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Let me say this. If Christianity doesn't work in, during suffering, it doesn't work. But I can tell you this right now, this morning, on the other side of this world, in war-torn Ukraine, some Christians gathered, maybe in their homes, maybe in some church buildings, but they sang the resurrection songs today. And don't think for a moment that they didn't, that didn't provide strength and help during their suffering. Doesn't remove it, the war's not over tomorrow. We all know that. The people they've lost, the country, their, their beautiful country they've seen destroyed is not going to be fixed tomorrow. Suffering is real. There is no band-aid. Jesus doesn't rush in as a savior to rescue us all out of suffering so we don't ever have to experience anything hard in this world. But what he does say is whenever you are going through something hard, I am with you. And one day, when this sky splits open and this world, this broken world passes away and there is a new heavens and new earth, the weight of that glory will far outweigh whatever suffering you experience in this world. Listen, that'll help you face cancer. That'll help you face divorce. That'll help you face anything. And finally here, Jesus brings us into a new community. Community with him. In a very real sense, a Christian could be on a deserted island, right? And never be alone. Because God, through his spirit, Jesus says, I will send my spirit and he will dwell in you. He is me with you. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as a Christian, we are invited in that community with God, but he also invites us into a community of people. Listen, I, my heart breaks for, for the epidemic of loneliness in our country. We have a thousand Facebook friends or Instagram friends or whatever, but, but we're not actually connected to people. People are feeling disconnected. We're afraid that someone else has it all together. And if we pull back the veil a little bit and they see us, they might not love us. They might not like us. 
And God sees this. And, and the beauty of it is, whether you feel it or not, if you're a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus didn't just die for a bunch of individuals. He died for a people. He died for a family. He died for a kingdom of citizens who are in, doing life together. And it's a mess. Don't, don't, let, don't make, it, make, me, uh, make me out to idealize it. It's a mess. It's hard. I'm difficult. I am. I, I am married. I've been married for 28 years. That's, that's the community, right? That's part of the, we're brother and sister in Christ too. And, it, and, and she has it hard sometimes, right? We get that. But there's something that transcends it. That transcends our differences, transcends our likes and our dislikes. It transcends all of that and connects us with each other. As we close, you can respond today. The invitation is, the beauty of it is the invitation to believe is just as real today as it was when, when the women went and told the disciples he had risen. The invitation to believe that, embrace that, experience that today is just as real. And I would say this, this week, I was able to talk to someone who's, who's here this morning who had not encountered Christ, had believed in God and was on a spiritual journey that way. And I literally told this person to, to go home and pray and ask, ask God to reveal Jesus, Jesus to them. And he did. In a big way. Just by simply turning and looking and asking God, is Jesus real? Are you real? If you are, will you speak to me? That's, a, that's an act of faith. And anyone can experience that, I believe, today, even today. And maybe, maybe that's, that's not you. You're not, just not ready to do that, and you need to go to Christianity Explored. And you might be thinking, well, you don't understand. I don't even believe the Bible. That's awesome. That's what Christianity Explored is about. It's not Christianity post-belief. It's Christianity Explored. For those that aren't sure about Jesus, aren't sure about the Bible, have big questions. You're a skeptic. You're, when you and I talked about skepticism earlier, you're like, yep, that's me. Amen. That's the part of the sermon I could say amen to, right? <laughs> but this is for skeptics. This is for you to come. And maybe you're afraid to come alone. And if you're a Christian and you're here with a friend who wants to come, bring them with you. You can come, you can come too. But today, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus is alive and at work in this world. And if there's a tiny chance, if you're not a believer and you're, there's a tiny chance that this is real and not some fantasy, isn't it worth exploring? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that right now, you as the risen king of the universe seated at the right hand of your father would send your spirit through this room that you would meet each of us wherever we are meeting meet us in our doubts meet us in our suffering meet us in our weakness meet us jesus we believe you are alive and today you are real and you can and will move across this room for your glory and your name's sake. I ask all this in your name. Amen.